0: welcome to the power of data the podcast by dun and bradstreet data is everywhere and there is more created every second of every day join us to hear from leaders unlocking the value of data hi welcome back to the power of data podcast today i'm delighted to be joined by sam seaton who's chief executive officer at Money Hub Enterprise. Welcome, Sam.
1: Thank you, thanks for having me.
0: Sam, you've worked across a diverse mix of organizations and, and having just looked through your biography earlier this week in a number of different roles from consultant to CEO in a number of different types of organization as well. Could you start off with giving us a bit of an overview of your career and background?
1: Well, yeah, so I grew up in Towers Perrin. I had the amazing opportunity to MBO eValue from Towers Perrin when they merged with Watson Wyatt, and I ran that as CEO for five years. That was my first CEO position, and then had a fantastic opportunity to join Momentum and running their retail UK investment business, which was actually a money hub was part of. And then had an incredible opportunity to MBO Money Hub as a result of all non-core businesses needing to be off the books for Momentum, which is a South African insurer like Aviva in South Africa, which is a fantastic opportunity, which then kind of went through, I don't know, February 2018, the management team of Money Hub took over the reins. And I guess, you know, just a little bit more flavor to that, because that's a quick canter through how I ended up here. I think the main flavor behind that is the fact that when I was at Towers Perrin, I realized that Products get manufactured and taken to market, but consumers really have no hope of understanding what those products that they're buying are. And it's never really sat that well with me. So ending up where I am now, the journey that I've been on is always about getting closer to the consumer, even though we're B2B as a business, but enabling consumers to make better decisions. So I feel like I'm in a good place. Yeah.
0: Excellent. And what I love, I was on your LinkedIn profile earlier today. And in the about section, you say, what a time to be working in financial services. Never has there been a more exciting opportunity to be an agent for change in this sector. I could not agree more, not least of all, because Dun & Bradstreet is going under a really exciting transformation in parallel to an industry, you know, the data segment that is equally going through an exciting time. But financial technology has had an incredible decade. And even through the atrocities we've had this year, it's another exciting inflection point. The digital singularity that we've hit means that data underpins everything, more of it's being created every day, and more opportunity with that too. And that phrase, out of the hottest fire comes the strongest steel, I think is always true of innovation in times of downturn. So what are some of the exciting trends you're seeing in the industry? What makes you say that on your LinkedIn profile?
1: Well, I think there's a number of factors. You've mentioned one. I mean, clearly COVID has had yet another impact on already lots of change. But there's a few things for me. One, if you think about the turn of the century with the internet, online shopping, kind of early 2000, I think that for me was one step. Then I think the the mobile phones, what was it, around 2007, 8, 9, combined with the credit crunch, and then the legislation changes that have been taking place in terms of much more consumer-focused legislation putting the consumer first. So you combine all of that together, and I think you just get an incredible opportunity to create these agents for change. So, you know, obviously Money Hub, we leverage open banking legislation, PSD2 legislation as well, but I actually think it's the consumer that's driving the real change. That's what for me is, is really exciting. So I think the main players are having their whole worlds turned upside down. Very fortunately, I'm on the right side of of making that change happen and enjoying it rather than finding it particularly difficult.
0: I agree with everything you just said. And one of the areas around consumer that I've always been shocked that hasn't evolved quite as fast as I'd want around consumers being able to take control and being at the centre of change is actually consumer pay cycles. We still get paid every 30 days. Employees every month lend their employer their salary Saturday. And it's a, a huge opportunity, I think, to unlock value in the economy by allowing people to get paid as they are. And that's just one area. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the areas of change that Money Hub is affecting. Well, tell us what Money Hub does.
1: So really Money Hub is all about, you know, financial insight. that's fundamentally what we live and die by. And we would we say at Money Hub, insight for good. So enabling you, and we obviously enable businesses, but enabling the businesses to in effect have the consumers back. So if you think about what business needs to do, you know, every company this is, I think they need to be able to engage with consumers at a highly personalized level and at scale. And I think that's really what like a Money Hub open finance platform enables enterprises or businesses to do. And it's every business. It's not just financial services businesses. So That's the bit that's so exciting
0: about what we're doing. So let's talk a little bit about this year. Being the CEO of any company has been tough. It's been tough in terms of the business environment. It's been tough in terms of your people and what people have had to go through. And it's had a knock-on effect through many different parts of the economy. The events of 2020 have affected consumer spending in a way no one's ever experienced before. People have been traveling less, spending less on all the things associated with it. We've changed the way we entertain ourselves and our recreational activities. It's even impacted our personal savings. In the US, I saw earlier in the year hit record historic numbers of personal savings per month. So it's evident that the financial ramifications of COVID-19 have been far-reaching. They're going to continue to be far-reaching as firms have to continue saving next year because of the EBITDA upside they've seen this year from the savings. And at MoneyHub, you've taken spending insights, harnessing your own data to create your consumer spending tracker, which I'd love you to tell us a little bit about now. And at Dun & Bradstreet, we did something similar for business where we created COVID-19 Impacts Index and the COVID-19 Recovery Index to provide an integrated impact assessment on both business risk and business opportunity. So tell us, how did your team create the Spending Tracker and what are some of the key trends that you can tell us you found from that data?
1: All right, well, if it's okay, I'll break it into three things because I think, first of all, I'd just like to to talk about why we did it. Then I can talk a little bit about how and then just some of the insight that is actually fascinating. So the reason we did it is because we don't think – companies realize yet, all companies this is, the power of the data that they have available to them with their customer base. So we wanted to try and bring to life how that data that they could have with their customer base that could be real time and in their fingertips. So that was the reason we actually did the tracker to try and help companies understand that. You know, one of my friends had a, an annual review with their financial advisor in early February And they're very upset a month later when they put that in the bin. You know, their cash flow plan was now out of date, you know, within a few weeks. And I can still remember them being a bit miffed is the word I'd use. You know, and I said to them, you know, there's no need for it to be an annual review. You know, it's 24-7. You know, you can have your cash flow monitored 24-7 with alerts in place, for when you need help or interventions. And I think that's what really got me thinking. I need to try and help companies understand the power of the data that they've got available And with consumers' consent, you know, in that value exchange, they're on fire now. They can really do amazing Mm. things. And so just to kind of bring it back to what we did, I mean, we have 58 standard categories that our machine learning algorithm breaks financial data into, and then they're grouped into 16 personal categories, and then users create their own categories under those. So they can create whatever they like, but they roll back up. And then we have 22 business categories. And they're broken into eight subcategories. So we have a lot of data that is already segmented and and grouped, if you like, which is what enabled us to be able to produce the COVID spending tracker and then give some insights, up-to-date insights about what people are actually doing with their money.
0: How do you see the, the power of these insights from the data changing in the coming year? Are consumers and companies viewing that exchange of data differently than in the past?
1: I think that we are kidding ourselves if we think people, and you know, I include myself in that, if we really do value our data because the minute there's an exchange that I think is worth exchanging that for, I, I give it up. So, for example, I went to park my car you know, last year at the train station and they had a new app. I can't remember which one it was, but I downloaded it and it wanted, it wanted everything, access to my photos on my phone and this and that. And I thought, oh, I'm not doing that. You know, that's ridiculous to park my car. And so then it's like, well, you know, you don't get to park your car by the app. It's like, yeah. OK. So I download it again. And what do I do? Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have everything. Have the lot. Because I, I want to park my car by the app. I want to pay by the app. That's how I want to do it. I just think you know, you've only got to look at, you know, dare I mention it, Cambridge Analytica in 2018. I think it tells us all we need to know.
0: Let's talk for a moment about the the business, Sam. So MoneyHub's been around for Five years, is it? Tell us a little bit about the, the genesis of the business and then where you think Money Hub's future is going to be in our space.
1: MoneyHub has been around for long enough now to, I think, develop a, a kind of what I call a fantastic core product platform that I believe is still ahead of the market. So for me, the market's still coming Money Hub's way which is a great place to be. But the future really, the real future lies in the power of what we can do with companies. And I, I have a philosophy. What we really are trying to do is to help everyone do things quicker, simpler and more cost-effective, to, in effect, to take out the intermediaries. So if you don't add value, you kind of don't belong in this world. And that's the real power, I think, of an open finance platform combined with a company, combined with the consumer. You bring those together. You take what we manufacture direct into the consumer's hand in an effortless way. And you minimize the touch points in between
0: and therefore the costs. Uh, yeah, I mean, that ultimately is Dun & Bradstreet's business model. You know, on one side, we help companies protect and manage risk. And then on the other side, we help them accelerate growth through our sales and marketing solutions. And particularly when we look at the SMB space or SME space, how do we help smaller companies do things more efficiently? They haven't got the time to think about everything all at once. You know, the solutions that we're offering at Dun & Bradstreet help take a lot of that hassle out of their lives, help create efficiencies and do it across different parts of the value chain as those businesses are growing. Is that something that MoneyHub is spending a lot of time on, on the business financial management side?
1: Yeah, it's actually anything to do with data. At the moment, we believe the market is saturated with low-level data insights, so the quality of the insight is poor, mm-hmm. whereas what we think you know, we really bring to the table is hyper-personalised for a business or a consumer because we work with both. So hyper personalized insight effortlessly. So that to me is the amazing thing about the platform is it's product agnostic and it's sector agnostic in terms of the industry that it can work for. So we genuinely think that we're probably as equally beneficial for a small business as what we would be for a large business, but just in slightly different ways.
0: Let's talk about those efficiencies for a moment because particularly as I was reading through your history and the press releases, you created huge efficiencies for charities. In September 2020, you launched the world's first QR code-based open banking payment capability with automated gifting for the third sector, which is an incredible innovation, a tremendous achievement, and actually having material impact for organizations that need it most. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what the genesis of that idea and execution was?
1: It all comes back to that same philosophy I mentioned about, you know, I call it zero leakage you know, and I, and I think, the don- you know, the charity world knows all about donation leakage, you know, so, but it is all about that. And it's one of the ways that I thought we can really, A, do good instantly, but also show the power of this, you know, kind of direct mode of operation that we're all moving into through the power of technology and data. And so what we used is we used our payment initiation service provisions, which is the new legislation around being able to initiate payments directly from one bank account to another. And although we don't touch the money, we can initiate a payment from an account to another account and using faster payments, which is, you know, off the rails. So none of the commission based mode of operation in terms of the rails, you know, that Visa, MasterCard, world pay, and, you know, even debit cards and direct debits. I mean, that, that whole world is ready to be disrupted. So we thought we would show you that and how effective it can be with the charities. And, and the thing that I think people have been most surprised about is how quick it is. So I think the pushback originally from a lot of companies was, well, you know, it's never going to be quicker than using your credit card, is it? You know, it's just it's just too easy to use a credit card. But I mean, it's incredibly fast. I mean, because we all use biometrics now on our phones with our banking apps, you know, your thumbprint or just looking at your phone and the payment is initiated. I think it's amazing. So that's what we did and what it actually means is that, you know, charities get the money directly. Like if I make a donation of 20 pounds, it goes from my bank account to the charity's bank account in less than 15 seconds.
0: I love that. It's an incredible example of innovation. And one of the areas that I want to touch on just for a moment is disrupting the disruptors. You know, technologies like AI and machine learning, advance and power, those decisions that we're talking about even more impactfully. Something we talk about at Dun & Bradstreet is the need to eliminate bias in those technologies. And I think gender bias in algorithms is something that's still pretty prevalent today. And I know it's something that you're focused on actually outside of MoneyHub with an organization you co-founded called Open51. Can you tell us a little bit about the mission and and how you're ensuring that women are represented fairly?
1: So, yes, it's called Open51 because 51% of the population are women. And they're definitely not represented in finance in that order at all. And the other thing that really motivated me to found this was one of my friends, you know, she's an ex-fighter pilot. And if it wasn't for one of the sergeants in that world, thinking to himself, I do not understand why no women make it through to becoming fighter pilots, when I see a lot of really good women at this point, and then the next stage, they're all gone. If he hadn't actually had a look into what went on, there still wouldn't be any women fighter pilots because he, he realised that when he looked into it, the algorithm, the computer algorithm that you went through that process after that you know, certain stage would never have let any women through, no matter how good they were. So it's things like that that really makes you stop and think. So I thought, you know, I, I want to do something about that. And I think we've all also heard, you know, the Apple credit card debacle that, you know, the US regulator got involved with closer to home, really, in terms of financial services You know, I'm not trying to be difficult, but it's really not right. So what I want to do with Open 51 and the team is to make sure that women are more represented in the financial services sector, which by definition should start to erode some of the bias, because obviously by having more women, articulate, informed women in those roles, influencing behaviour, that's a start. And then secondly, just one of the more kind of rudimentary things we've got to do is, unfortunately, we can't use historical data. So when we look at machine learning algorithms, we've got to be very careful about what data they learn from. And we've seen all manner of things go wrong on that front today as well. So that's what I'm a big advocate of.
0: And I mean, seemingly you're a big advocate of, of things that you, you see, you observe, and you just want to change. And Well, firstly, hugely admirable. Secondly, you're going to be busy because there's a lot of things we need to change out there. But while we think about the future, what, what's next for MoneyHub in the area of data and services? Can you share some insight into what future product development looks like?
1: One of the things that we get is people want more insight, not less. So everyone wants more nudges. So, for example, I got a nudge from MoneyHub the other day telling me that I had spent 15% more on home improvement And I knew exactly why, because I'd spent more on the garden, you know. And so people want more insight into what they're doing with their money. That is for sure. I liken it to driving a car. So most people are not that interested in managing money. They obviously like what it enables and what it facilitates. But the actual money itself is, for most people, terribly boring, a real drag, And I liken that to if I had had to take a car engine apart and put it back together in order to get my driving licence, I would still be on the bus. And it's not that I can't take a car engine apart and put it back together. I'm sure, you know, given enough tenacity, I, I could do that. But do I want to do that? Well, I'm not remotely interested in doing that. So I think we've got to acknowledge, in my view, that there is a job that we can do for people and their money, which means that we can get them to a better place help them make more informed decisions by taking all the pain away from actually their money and it doesn't really matter who you are when you're working with a customer you want to take the pain points away of what you do with them and actually money is a big part of that so we're looking at recurring payments so I don't know if you're familiar with variable recurring payments which I think will see the end of direct debits and standing orders because they will be a much more effective way of doing that. Users you know, human beings are so curious. So do you know that you have two out of three of the major internet TV providers, which is you are absolutely normal, or, you know, you're incredibly abnormal because you have 10 different subscriptions to TV programs and you're an outlier. So trying to feedback to people about what they're doing and how it compares because people love that. And I think anything to get you a little bit more engaged with what you're doing with your money is a good thing. And then on top of that, automating the next best thing to do with your money. So making saving, like democratising savings, really, and putting that back on the agenda. And the only way I believe we're going to democratise savings rather than credit is to make it easy, effortless. And so that, to me, means automating it.
0: Yeah, democratising savings is a topic for much debate in the park. At the beginning, we spoke about getting people paid as they earn, And I think will do a long way to helping solve that. And particularly when you talk about democratising savings, contribute towards the pension crisis that we're sat right in the middle of and most people are entirely unaware
1: of. And Sam, it's really, really funny when you said at the beginning, you know, about the 30 days that your employer is benefiting from. And I am going to get our finance team to listen to this podcast because I horrified them when I said to them not that long ago that I'm going to pay people every day that's what I'm going to do. You know, at the moment, it's quite tricky because of the way payroll systems are set up, but it's it's on my mission to be able to pay everyone every day because this concept of monthly pay, weekly pay is ridiculous and there's no need for it. And I think it would yeah. be good. And we're also going to head into a much more flexible work environment. And what I mean by that is I think people will do more than one job. So I think the idea that you just get paid when you do your work is very sensible, right?
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And it'll help not just alleviate economic issues, but equally help alleviate all sorts of mental health issues around financial stress, I suspect, as well. There's going to be many benefits. It's a huge trend waiting to happen. We're nearing the end of the podcast, Sam, and you've had a dynamic career. You're clearly a change agent, a hugely passionate one. What kind of advice would you give people who are starting their career? What are the big lessons that you've learned that you'd want to pass on to some of our younger listeners on the podcast?
1: You need to be brave and you need to make your own mistakes and don't be scared of making. You only learn by making mistakes. So just get on and make them and learn from them. I know we can always look on and try and learn from others and we should. But in my experience, we learn the best and the fastest with our own mistakes. So my view is just get on and make your own mistakes, learn from them and you will be wiser and better at what you do in really short order. And the other reason I'm a big fan of that is because it's better to be cross with yourself when you make a mistake rather than cross with someone else because they advised you because then you just blame them because it Mm -hmm. wasn't really your decision. You you followed someone's advice. So I think you've got to own it. I think look on, take on board lots of, but if you want to go and do something a bit different or do it your own way, I think crack on. Be brave and follow your own path. It will be the best path that you can follow, in my humble opinion.
0: I love that. And I'm now scratching my head asking myself, why am I not wiser? I've made so many mistakes. Um, (laughs) But it's great advice. Thank you, Sam. And I'd also like to extend a thank you to our mutual great friend, Todd Rupert, who kindly made this thoughtful introduction. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you, Sam. and, And I know our listeners have learned a lot from this. Thank you for joining us on the Power of Data podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Find out more about how Dun & Bradstreet can help your business be better. Contact us at marketinguk at dnb.com. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts.